We're back. I'm Jack, and you're listening to Dev90X. The day has come. It is day 90. And if you're following along, you, you probably may have noticed that it is actually day 91 because I started on day zero. So the 90 days has finally come to an end. In the beginning, I felt like I had an endless amount of time, but in the end, the, the deadline has really snuck up on me. <laughs> I want this final episode to be the one episode that everyone listens to. This is where I summarize and illustrate the most important lessons that I've learned over the past 90 days. So it's going to be a bit of a longer one, and I'm really going to go into as many different aspects of the journey that I've been through and what I've learned from that. So without further ado, I'll just get into it. Lesson number one, 90 days is just the tip of the iceberg. Initially, I thought that 90 days was a good amount of time to fully allocate and dedicate myself to entering a new career, entering a new industry, learning a new valuable skill set, and all the while also building something valuable and launching it all within 90 days. I knew that it was ambitious, but I also thought that it was a reasonable time frame if I'm going to commit myself fully and dedicate 100% of focus. I actually didn't get into iOS until around day 20. When I started the project, I started on web development and it took me a little while before I realized that I needed to pivot into iOS. Number two, success and failure is not binary. So when I, when I was structuring and writing out this episode, this final episode, I, I thought I was thinking and reflecting, did, did I succeed? Was this project a success? And in some ways, it definitely wasn't. I, I initially set the benchmark for success uh, as what was la launching an app. So launching a demo app, at least a demo uh, within the 90 days. And I sort of wanted, you know, about 100 beta testers or initial users and people who were listening to the podcast would hopefully also be there ready for the launch date. And that did not happen. But it, it also wasn't a failure either. I learned so much in this journey and I succeeded in the podcast. So I, I, I wanted to podcast every day no matter what and use that as an accountability challenge for myself. And I succeeded in that. I, missed, I did miss one day and I gave myself a streak freeze for that. <laughs> Everyone gets a streak freeze at least once, at least once a month. Um, but yeah, I did definitely succeed in, in many other ways and I learned a lot in the process. Number three, yes, my handstand app was ambitious for a beginner. So the handstand app was what I really wanted to launch. It was the main reason that I decided that I, I was going to do this challenge because I wanted to set some accountability around it. I wanted to make it more of a meaningful process of having this project and really doing it and not just saying that I'm doing it, but actually doing it and then talking about the, the process and the journey as I went through learning what I needed to learn, overcoming the obstacles that came up along the way. And yeah, I'm, the handstand app 
it's using the latest technology in machine learning, computer vision. <laughs> it's a whole skill set of its own to learn machine learning and training deep learning models and understanding how how that that process actually works so that you can get the result that you need. And the the overall design architecture of building a computer vision app like that is determined a lot by the design architecture of of the deep learning model. And so there was this it was a very ambitious project and it in a way it's two separate things. It was the machine learning and AI part and then the development and deployment part, which initially I planned to do on the web. I was going to launch this model so that you could run it in the browser so that anyone who had Chrome could, or even any web browser could run this model using JavaScript, tensorflow.js and um, play with it and, and, and like get the idea out there so that I could then maybe get some traction on it, show investors, get money, build a proper team around it and then launch the full product. That was my strategy initially. But what I wanted to say here is that, yes, it was too ambitious for a beginner. So if you're thinking about doing a project like this and you're a beginner, should you do something that's ambitious? Should you do something that is probably well above your skill level? And I have to say, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Do what you want to do. Do what you care about. Because as hard as the idea is, the more important thing is that you care enough about it to keep pushing through the challenges. And not only that, you, you can learn anything that you need to learn if you care enough to learn it. I, <laughs> I didn't consider, I didn't consider the, the project easy, but I cared enough about it to push through some of those initial boundaries. And in the, in the end, I did get to a point of having a demonstration of the concept running in an iOS app. It wasn't a full app. It didn't have really any features except that it was running the handstand vision model. And that alone was enough to, 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 to show people that I, I can really push through. I can push through some challenging problems and learn what I need to learn. If you choose an ambitious app, it just means that it'll take more time. So you need to budget for that. And it will cost you more money. So you need to budget for that as well. But you'll also learn more in the process and you'll make something that's more impressive to other people. So your app or whatever demo it is that you, that you launch will be more impressive. It'll stand out more if you're looking to get a job. And it'll just, it's, it's good. It, it's definitely good to, to do something ambitious. A lot of people will recommend that you don't because you should choose something that is manageable, something that you can finish from start to finish. And I would agree that finishing something is very, very important. But if you could at least get a demo done of whatever ambitious thing it is that you're trying to build that showcases something working that wasn't easy to build, that's good enough. That is, there's a lot of value in that. And I can promise you that. I can promise you that. Lesson number four, partnering on projects with other people multiplies the complexity of getting things done. So it can feel like you're getting a lot of benefit from having a teammate, somebody else who cares about your project just as much as you do. And they're going to be there and they're going to shoulder some of the responsibility. They're going to carry some of the weight and they're going to help keep the ball rolling and keep the momentum in the project. But at the same time, it multiplies the complexity of getting anything done. And especially if you're partnering with a non-developer, 
this can be really challenging because usually people who don't have a developer background or have zero developer experience and haven't worked intimately with developers either as a product manager or a project manager, they don't understand the challenges of being a productive developer. They don't understand how a developer would typically achieve their highest level of productivity. And this, this is usually a pain point when you're trying to schedule time together to have meetings and work together on the project. Scheduled meetings can absolutely kill your focus and productivity and they can really just derail you if you're in, in the zone, in a flow state, and you're in the middle of finishing off a chunk of the project in the code base. It can be really challenging to get through those tough chunks. There are some easy chunks, there are hard chunks. And if you're working on a hard chunk, oftentimes it's better to just stay focused for as long as possible until you finish solving the, the problem that it is that you're trying to solve in the code. If you get distracted too often and you take too long of a time away from the code, you come back and you have to, it takes longer to, to to continue off where you, where you started or where you were. And so working with somebody who doesn't understand these things can be really challenging. Also, I learned that video meetings are more focused in general than face-to-face -face meetings. Oftentimes, when you meet up with your business partner or your new colleague, there's a bit of a time where, you, where you're just gonna hang out and then it's catch up, see how each other are going and you need that as well. That's just a, a thing that you budget for. But I found that when you're in a video meeting, generally the start time is usually on time and the finish time is often more on time. And there's this constricted sense of you have this amount of time for this meeting. And so it's, in my experience, video meetings have been more focused in general. Even if you live just down the road from each other, doing a video meeting can be very beneficial and it's definitely something that you should experiment with. But most importantly, you have to ask yourself, is this really something you want or need? Does that other person really bring a lot of value to the project? When it comes to app development, a typical pairing would be a developer and a designer or a developer and a developer or a developer and a money partner or a developer and a marketing partner. So there's a lot of different popular pairings. And I have to say that it will depend entirely on everyone's unique situation as to what the best pairing would be. If you're trying to build a very simple app and you're an experienced developer, maybe having a designer would be the best pairing for you so that you can make your app look really flashy and competitive in the marketplace. If you're building a very technical, technically challenging app, such as my handstand app was with the machine learning and the AI and trying to solve and integrate these technologies so that they, they work really, really well. For me, the best pairing would have been a more senior developer, someone who can help me overcome the coding challenges um, in, a, in a faster and more efficient manner. But if you're strapped for cash, sometimes a, a money partner could be a better option and then you can just take more time to solve the problems that you need to solve. And in some circumstances, your app might never succeed if you don't have a strong marketing strategy. And so sometimes the best partner could be a, a marketing partner, someone who can really push the app, as this, this can have 
a lot more value than simply having money to spend. Lesson number five, coding work requires longer periods of undistracted focus. So in my previous job, I was a product manager and I was in and out of meetings constantly and I was managing the backlog, I was managing design, I was doing user testing, I was sitting down with people and really learning how the implementation of the, of the product that we were building was going in the real world so that I could have the best feedback and the best data to make further design decisions to then feed forward onto the developers. As a developer, you need longer periods of undistracted focus. I found that anything less than 60 minutes and you're probably not going to get much meaningful work done. Oftentimes you'll have problems that will require focused effort for at least a few hours for you to really get through because you have to understand the context of what it is that you're building first. And understanding that context can take a little while to kind of load up into your working memory, into your brain before you can actually start putting your fingers to the keyboard and writing code. There's also a strong psychological force at play when you know in your mind that you have not much time to work on something. Even if you, you know that you can achieve great work in a 60 minute time period because you've done it before, if you know you only have 60 minutes rather than you, you have as much time as you need, there's this psychological force at play where you'll, you'll just tend to not go deep. You'll go shallow rather than deep. And it can really, it can really stunt your, your productivity if you don't have longer periods of undistracted focus. And the biggest thing that can take away this focus is meetings, phone calls, messages, email, Slack, WhatsApp, Telegram, all of these messaging things, especially meetings when people just, especially when it's not, not scheduled in properly and there's no actual routine to it. When you know that there's a routine to it, you can plan your day around it. But when it's very ad hoc, then it becomes an, an incredibly bad thing for productivity. I found that a really good sweet spot is when you have a 90 minute chunk where no one's going to distract you, you can put your phone in do not disturb mode and then you split that 90 minutes into like two 45 minute sprints. So you, you take a rest kind of halfway through, get a drink, go to the bathroom, blah, 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 uh, get up and walk around uh, and then sit back down for another you know, 45 minutes of, of focus. If you do that twice per day, you get a good four mini sprints, I guess you would call them, 45 minute sprints. And you can get a lot done in that time. You can get a real lot done in just three hours of completely undistracted focus. Lesson number six, certain genres of music help a lot with getting into a good flow state. So I found that for me, video game music and chill lo-fi beats help the most. Uh, and of those two, video, video game music actually helped the most because I, this is just a theory of mine, but I think that there's a lot of memories that I have in my past where when I listen to that music, I know it's just in my body. I feel like I am about to sit, sit down and focus on something for many, many hours because I had that experience as a child. Growing up, I spent a lot of time playing video games and I would, I would sit down focused on the game for up to 
10 hours at a time. And the music was the thing that was playing the entire time. And so now when I listen to that music, I just feel in my body that it's time to just sit down and stay with this thing for many hours. And even if I don't have many hours to give to it, I still get that, I still get that feeling. So for me, music is such a game changer and it's definitely something that you should experiment with. Lesson number seven, shiny object syndrome for learning resources is completely normal and happens to almost everyone. So the, the, the word of advice on the street is that don't get shiny object syndrome when you're starting out and you're going through the process of acquiring learning resources and going through them and actually learning. I would say that it's neither a good thing nor a bad thing. It's just a natural thing that everyone seems to go through is that when you, when you don't know what's good, you don't know where to put your focus for a long and extended period of time, you naturally have this, this desire to continuously search and look for the next better thing. And it just happens to everyone. For me, it was about probably a good 30 days where I had this shiny object syndrome where I was just, I even had this mentality that uh, diversity is better and learning from more resources is better and learning from more people is better. And I think in the long run, over a five year time frame, it is good to learn from a lot of different resources and a lot of different people. But in the short term, it's much more effective to stay focused on one good structured resource that builds a habit into your learning routine. So when, it, when it's unstructured, unstructured and it's just this kind of shotgun approach of like, you know, shoot a bunch here, shoot a bunch there. We've got YouTube, we've got Medium articles, we've got, uh, you know, Ray Wenderlich, we've got all these tutorials and just kind of trying to learn whatever you can from wherever because you don't know what you need to learn. You don't know the structure of the content. You don't know, you don't know a lot of things and you're still trying to figure it all out. It takes a little while to get through that phase where you now kind of know what you need to learn and you know what, what's a good resource. You've got maybe a few different ones that you can pick from. And eventually you get to a point where you're actually happy to just stay focused on one resource. And I found that this, it helps for a number of different reasons to stay focused on one. I mean, I already said the first one is that it's habit forming. So it's very clear as to what you need to do each day. It's structured. You just work through the program. And number two is that it's more efficient. It, it builds on prior understanding, starting out from a kind of simple level and then moving up to a more advanced level. And rather than with the shotgun approach, some things are easy, some things are hard, and it's just a flip of a coin as, if you're, as to whether you're actually going to learn something that builds on your prior knowledge. Lesson number eight. The best learning resources are structured resources that you can complete from start to finish. So building on the previous lesson that I learned is that, yeah, it's much better to find structured resources. And there are plenty out there, but also there's not that many out there. And so it's important to just, just find one that you really, really love. Get to, that, get to the point where you have found one that you're ready to commit to, and then really commit to it, really finish it. This is a big mistake that I made, but it also, I don't think it's 
a mistake. I think it's just a natural process of learning. Lesson number nine, iOS development is hard, both for beginners and experienced developers alike. Realistically, you do need to own a Mac and a build device that you plan on building apps for. So if that's if you want to build apps for the iPad, you need an iPad. If you want to build apps for the Apple TV, you need an Apple TV. If you want to build apps for the iPhone, you need an iPhone. And a lot of people will say that you don't. I would disagree because generally speaking, there's a lot of different aspects of the learning process that require you to build and run your app on your device. Yes, there's the simulator. Yes, you can use the simulator, but it just leaves it just leaves so much on the table when you can't build and run on an actual device. For example, if your app uses a camera API, you just need it. You need an actual device. It just doesn't work in the simulator. So that's just one example, but there are a lot of other APIs that just don't work in the simulator and you need to run it on an actual device. Building on the iPad is also not really feasible if you're actually planning to build for the iPhone. And same same goes for if you're, you know, building on Apple Watch and you only have an iPhone, kind of need an Apple Watch. <laughs> if you wanted to build on the Apple TV and you only have an iPhone, kind of need an Apple TV. So it just, it just, this is one thing that I learned because I didn't have an iPhone when I started. I just had an iPad Pro and I thought that it'd be fine for me to just build my iPhone app on the iPad Pro because you can, you can do that, but it's not, I wouldn't recommend it. There are also too many APIs for you to learn them all. You need to focus on learning what you need and you also need to focus on higher levels of abstraction first. For example, um, before moving down the stack to lower level frameworks, for example, AV kit, AV kit versus AV foundation versus core audio. AV kit's pretty high level, so it gives you simplicity in using various different APIs and getting results. But if you need to tweak things more, you might go down a level to AV foundation. Still not good enough, so you want to build a really feature-rich, powerful audio experience. You might have to go down again another level so you get more flexibility to core audio. And that's just an example. There are a lot of different APIs that have multiple levels of abstraction for ease of use. And you should just start with the most high-level one. Right now, it's also an awkward period of time to learn iOS development because there's this transition happening from UIKit to SwiftUI. And you, as a beginner, you're in the position now where you need to make a decision on how to spend your time, how to split your time between learning one or the other. And in a way, you have to learn both still. As of today, you still need to learn both. The puck is going towards SwiftUI in the future. So maybe if you could only pick one, you would today you would pick SwiftUI and not UIKit. But a lot of the, a lot of the learning materials are written in UIKit. A lot of the tutorials are written in UIKit. A lot of production apps are still written in UIKit. And so UIKit is, and also UIKit is still being maintained and updated and it's by no means dead. And it's by no means going to die in the next two to three years either. So it's a tricky time to start learning because they both use fundamentally different design architectures and different data designs and a different style of programming. And so, uh, yeah, it's definitely difficult. But if you're starting from scratch today, I would recommend start with SwiftUI, build your first demo projects in SwiftUI, then learn UIKit as you need it. If you're looking for a job, maybe start with UIKit because a lot of production apps are still 
written in UIKit. Lesson number 10. Keeping a simple approach to learning is better. And this, again, is building on what I previously said about a structured learning approach and the shiny object syndrome and not doing the shotgun learning approach to just uh, randomly spending your time on random different things. A simple approach is better because it eliminates the question mark of what do I learn today? What do I need to do today? Where do I go to learn the thing today? You just open the thing, it's there, learn this, do this today, finish it, tomorrow the next thing's gonna be there. Rinse and repeat. And this it just saves a lot of time when you're, you know, you don't know what you need to work on that day. If it's structured and it's simple, you just work on the next lesson, simple. You can, you can improve your learning efficiency by at least double by doing it this way. Lesson number 11, allow for rest when needed. Don't push through burnout. And it might be, for you, it might be a minimum of one day fully off per week where you, you're not working, you're not trying to work either. Even if you want to work, you're not trying to. Or it might mean that you take three full days off every two weeks your rest schedule will be your own. It'll be unique to you. The point is don't push through fatigue and burnout. Take the rest because resting keeps you alert, sharp, more capable of learning, more capable of integrating your knowledge, more capable of remembering what you learned yesterday. And for me, this was hands down my biggest mistake. It was my biggest mistake. I, I'm like a, a workaholic in a way and when I set my goal for this project to do the podcast every day, that actually meant that I had to do work every day because the whole podcast is about me updating on my progress. And so I didn't take the time for rest when I needed to. And in the end, I'm approaching, I'm approaching burnout again. And this is just such a common thing for me and it's such a common thing for other developers. And so I think this is such an important lesson to know in the beginning that don't do what I do. Learn from my mistake. Don't work every single day for 90 days. Lesson number 12. Life does and certainly will get in the way and expect that to happen. For me, it was getting sick, changing up my routine, trying to balance work and play, and lastly, developing a super crush on a close friend of mine and losing a lot of sleep over it. I lost a lot of sleep over that and I, I went through like emotional kind of roller coasters and I didn't expect it in the beginning. I absolutely did not plan for that to happen and it just sort of happened because I was spending so much time with this girl and uh, I hadn't really planned or allocated time to spend time around other girls and I was just kind of focused on my work and I had sort of like a friend budget of who I can spend the most time around and it just happened to be her and so I didn't I didn't see that coming I didn't see that I would just develop that kind of super crush but um, that's life and life happens for you it'll be different it'll be something different something will happen but expect it and know that maybe your expectations won't match reality and that's okay that actually happens to everyone lesson number 13 don't hold your personal project too close to your heart. Sometimes it actually makes sense to drop one opportunity in favor of another. Sometimes a personal project will need to pivot 
sometimes the, the project that you're working on actually doesn't make sense or it won't be successful or you, your tech feasibility failed or the business viability failed. It, uh, sometimes you have to pivot. And sometimes a good job offer might actually be a more strategic option than continuing your own project. Although I would, I would say a word of advice is that if you want to be an iOS engineer, take an iOS job, take a job doing that. Don't take a completely different job if that's, if that's your goal. Unless you completely run out of money and you have to and there's no choice, but then that goes back to rule number 12, life does and certainly will get in the way. Rule number 14, sorry, lesson, I started saying rule. Lesson number 14, do show the world what you're working on. This, in a way, was the biggest strength of this podcast. Even with a really small listener base, this opened up a lot of opportunity for me. It wasn't just because that, uh, sorry, it wasn't just that I needed more listeners to have more opportunity. Just people knew that I was doing the podcast. I posted on my Facebook story every day that I did it. And there were a lot of people who were just aware that I was on this challenge, on this mission and kind of succeeding on it. And that, that created a lot of opportunity for me. I actually received a total of four different job offers during the 90 day period. And I wanted to add that most of them were in the first 30 days. Unfortunately, none of them were for iOS development, so I pretty much turned all of them down except for one, which was just he, this guy needed a little bit of help with some things and it was very, very low commitment. My work ethic was complemented by multiple people purely because it was visible and this definitely had an effect on my opportunities in the marketplace. So I have to say, do show the world what you're working on. Don't keep it in the dark. Don't keep it secret. Put it out there. Put it out there early. Uh, so that you can start to get feedback and and actually get value from it, even if you're not earning money from it. Lesson number 15. I spent over 100 hours just getting my audio online for this podcast. So I just wanted to throw that in there in case people were curious as to how much time I spent on the podcast over the last 90 days. It was around one hour every day but some days went a little bit longer some days i was sat in front of my screen trying to write out a template for the episode for that day because i just i had no motivation i had no inspiration i felt like i hadn't done anything and i spent a good amount of time just trying to figure out what to say on my short episode for that day other days i had too much to talk about and again i i would say that i averaged at least one hour just on just on the podcast aspect not on like working on my project or working on learning more ios development um just just writing down what i'm going to say saying it and recording it working with the files doing my post-production uploading them and then sharing them to my socials i spent over and over 100 hours on that and overall overall so this this is this was a trade-off this I spent this time so that I could have the accountability and to also, you know, get it out there so that it was visible, accountability and visibility. But it was also time that I could have just spent working on my project. So it was definitely a trade-off. And there were many times where I thought that this might not actually be worth it. This might be wasted time. But overall, I do feel now that it will pay dividends into the future. And so I'm actually not too... 
I'm pretty happy with, with it overall. Lesson number 16. Bali is a tough place to find focus. There are many powerful distractions here in Bali, from food to fitness and sports to parties and women and just across the whole spectrum, there's so many things that are really hard to say no to. There's so many awesome people here, so many fun things to do. And if you're trying to be really, really focused on something, it's really hard. It's really hard to do that in Bali. On average, uh, I think that if, if you can get at least four hours of high quality work done each day, and when I say that, I mean like you're actually like really nailing it for four hours in total, you can, you can have an incredible work-life balance here in Bali. Incredible. But you have to earn it. It's definitely not something that you just get if you sit in front of your laptop for four hours. You actually have to be effective for four hours. Um, and that requires, still, even with just four hours, that requires constant trade-offs because people are very flowy here in Bali. People are very flexible. There's a lot of people that don't really need to work because they're very successful already. Bali is a kind of playground for the rich and the super rich and, and the successful and, and the, beautiful, <laughs> the beautiful people who only have to post 20 minutes on Instagram every day and that's their job. So yeah, overall, tough place to find focus. If you're just starting out, maybe, and you don't have a lot of money and flexibility that you can just kind of have that four extra hours a day where you don't work, then I would recommend look, looking, look at finding focus before if you want to come to Bali or if you want to be like a digital nomad and then go travel. Try and set yourself up a little bit, at least a little bit before you do that. Lesson number 17. I probably averaged just four hours of actual productivity per day, seven days a week. For myself, I, I actually expected that I would do much, much better than this. I thought that I would, I'd be hitting at least eight hours and planning to kind of spend 10 hours trying to hit that eight hour mark, whereas it's like a 20% efficiency loss. I probably actually only hit four hours and I would say that that's about a 50% efficient efficiency loss. Still, it nets me around 360 productive hours over three months and uh, it's not too bad because I did seven days per week. Lesson number 18, uh, as I just said, I probably spent... I probably left about 50% of my potential on the table and I could have had an additional 360 hours of productive time. But again, life got in the way. I did try really hard and I did get results, but I also got sick. I had unstrategic rest intervals. I had a bad morning cafe coffee habit. Um, you know, I, I la I, I, I was open to working with other people and that really kind of messed my schedule around and uh, I had to work around their schedule and also working in cafes and restaurants full of distractions. People come up, come up to you all the time and say hi and they try to distract you because they're distracted and they're like, what are you working on? And I'm like, huh. Um, yeah, so it's, I left a lot on the table and I feel like I could have done much better. Lesson number 19. Pacing is important when it comes to learning iOS development and software engineering in general. So it's actually better to bite off small chunks on a regular time interval rather than massive chunks on an irregular time interval. 
it's a process that takes time. It's definitely a marathon and you need to continuously build on the knowledge that you acquired in the previous day. So this, it definitely doesn't work to really push super hard and, you know, sit in front of your screen for eight hours trying to code one day and then don't do it again for the next week. That's not the right approach. It's much, much better to have a consistent habit where you do a little bit every single day. And I would say that what that looks like is one to three hours a day and you would average around 90 minutes to two hours per day. Some days more, some days less, that's okay. And this is also why a structured learning sequence performs better because it enables you to have this easy habit of doing one to two hours per day every single day. Lesson number 20, learning about iOS development is almost just as important as learning iOS development. I would say that there are a lot of things that I've learned from listening to developer podcasts that there is, there is no other way to learn it except for through years of experience of doing this thing. And it's not, it's not just about the code. It's not just about learning Swift, learning Swift UI, learning Xcode, learning CocoaPods. It's not just about that. That is definitely one of the major aspects of it. And that's definitely probably also the hardest thing to learn. But it's also about the little things like, can you require a previous version of iOS? Does that affect how many people can use your app? Does that affect the market potential size of your app? Um, what about what about having a, an Apple Watch app to pair with your iPhone app? Is that a strategic play? Um, can is it viable to just just build on the watch? Um, all of these little things. All, all there's so many so many little things that you have to learn about development, and they don't actually include you know learning code. And you do the, you do this by listening to developer podcasts. I would recommend Under the Radar, Swift by Sundell, and Stacktrace. Those are the three podcasts that I just recommend off the bat. Lesson number 21. Yes, being a purely native iOS developer is still a very much viable option. So this is, this is like a tough question right now because there are a lot of potential um, alternatives to being a pure native developer. I mean, there's React Native, you've got... Um, you've got Flutter and, and Dart, which can build on multiple different platforms. And of course, you have other native options that you, you might consider, such as Android native or web native. And it's, it's very easy to get kind of sucked into this feeling of like, I need to build a solution that works on every platform rather than just being all in on one platform, being an, a native engineer. What I have to say regarding this is that Apple has a very strong set of native API tools. And even though other alternative options might get you where you need to go, it does limit your potential. And I think that that limitation will be there for a very long time and maybe forever. I'm not sure, but it's definitely still viable as just a, for, for, from like the workforce and the job market to be a native engineer. I, I don't think that that's going away anytime soon. All the biggest companies, tend to push their apps to native solutions rather than having one solution for all of them. Machine learning is also a growing technology and that works much better natively right now. iOS users are also fewer than Android. This is kind of an iOS versus Android debate. But iOS users spend double 
on apps compared to all Android users in the world. So there's less of them and they spend twice as much. And that just means that if, you're, if you want to be an indie developer, sure enough, yep, just building iPhone apps definitely still has a lot of market potential. And then lastly is, is that being fully integrated into the Apple ecosystem is actually a fantastic experience. So if you're a native iOS developer, it means that you're probably going to have an iPhone, you're going to have a MacBook Pro or a MacBook Air or, or an iMac, uh, maybe you'll have an, an Apple Watch, maybe you'll also have AirPods Pro. And I got to say that this ecosystem integration is just, just a great thing. Like it's for work and for general computing needs. So you will not be dissatisfied with all of the Apple products because they're all great. Lesson number 22, building apps is not just about code. So there's actually many different aspects to building apps, such as UI and UX design, market research and business viability, technical viability, overall design architecture, architecture and design patterns, third-party libraries and frameworks, marketing and advertising. And as an indie developer, you kind of need to do it all yourself. And, and you have to realize that in the beginning, that this is not just about learning how to code if you want to be successful as an indie developer. Lesson number 23. This is a kind of uh, tech thing that I learned, that developer machines, they do well to have a larger SSD. And I would say at least 512 gigabytes, at least. And the reason for that is that 256 gigabytes fills up real fast when you've got Xcode and a whole bunch of projects on your, on your machine, not to mention just general documents, general downloads. Um, maybe you have some music in your library, a few movies here and there. It fills up so fast. And I'm, I have the 256 gigabytes Mac, M1 MacBook Air and it's pretty much constantly full. I'm pretty much having constantly having to go through and delete things. Um, and not only that, it's, it's important because the machines they use swap memory when you don't have enough RAM. They ship with eight gigabytes of RAM or 16 if you've got the 16 gig op option, but they use the, the swap memory really, really well. However, you, it needs to be available in the SSD. So if you run out of SSD space, then swap becomes uh, inefficient and, and then, you, then you effectively don't have enough RAM to run all of the applications that you're trying to run concurrently. And so all you need to do to solve that problem is just have a larger, larger SSD and have some reserve space on it. Lesson number 24. How long does it take to learn this? So this is something that I thought, it's not really, not really like a statement, it's more of a question, but I feel like I have a good sense of this now after three months, well, after 70 days on learning iOS development. I would say this is, this is it. And I've, I've done some research into this as well. This is it. So if you have no developer experience and you're learning in your spare time, you need to budget 12 months. If you have no developer experience and you're learning full time, you need to budget six to nine months. And interestingly enough, it's not like you can, it, it doesn't scale that well because it, it really does take time to integrate your, your knowledge over a longer period of time. It's definitely a marathon and not a sprint. So it doesn't, yeah, full time to spare time, you, you shave off 20, 30, well, what is that? 33% to 50%. If you have developer experience, and you're learning in your spare time, budget six months, 
if you have developer experience and you're learning full-time, budget three to six months. And if you're a genius, budget two to three months. <laughs> it takes a while to learn iOS development. There, there's a lot to it. Lesson number 25. It took me around 20 days to find my feet. So initially, I didn't plan on being here in iOS land, but this is where the needs of the project led me at the time. And now I am actually happy with being in this path, and I do plan to continue down this road into the, into the foreseeable future. Lesson number 26. Learn from both easy resources and hard resources, and progressively overload yourself. Easy resources include things like Swift Playgrounds Learn to Code. It's basically a kid's game. It's like a puzzle game, and you don't really use any like real code, quote, quote marks. But it does teach you concepts that you have to apply. And funny enough, I actually, it's these object-oriented concepts of you know, initializing classes and creating objects and having multiple different copies of them or having references to the same one and acting on them all at the same time. It actually does teach you these complex concepts in a very simple, fun way. And so that's an easy resource. That's super easy. Um, and then Unwrap app on iOS is the, is the other one that I would recommend. Medium resources include 100 days of hacking with Swift and Udemy courses. You can kind of pick the one that you like, but they're longer, they're structured, they go through a bunch of different projects, and they are teaching you real development. And you, you actually are creating demo apps for your, for your portfolio. Hard resources include modifying other projects, working on demo apps, writing your own code, software engineering books, and building your own app. So you need a bit of both. You need, you need some of the easy and some of the hard when you're starting out to kind of push you forward and make, make sure you're not swimming in the, in the kiddie pool the whole time. Overall, I recommend starting with anything that Paul Hudson makes. So, I mean, the biggest thing is hacking with Swift and his 100 days courses. You, you can pick either Swift UI or UIKit. Lesson number 27. A podcast is a powerful form of public accountability. I got to say that this podcast has really shocked me at how, how well it's kept me accountable and purely because it's visible to everyone there. It shows exactly when I publish episodes and it's very, it's very obvious to people when I'm doing poorly or when I'm doing well. Um, I feel really bad when I have nothing good to talk about and I haven't done any work. And overall, just it sends a strong message to people that you mean business. You care about what it is that you're doing. Care, you care about it enough to, to tell people, tell the world. It's, it's also a great way to keep your friends and family in the loop if they don't really understand what it is that you're doing. They'll check in every now and again, in my experience. Uh, they won't listen to every episode, but that's fine. Um, it just... It's, it's nice to, to keep people in the loop. It also, I already said this, but it shows what you care, that you care about what you're working on. And when you show that you're serious about it, that brings a lot of value to you because it means that people are going to help you. They're going to kind of push you and propel you forward down the path that you want to go rather than like pulling you and dragging you in a different direction or like saying that, you know, like, what are you doing? Like, get your shit together, that kind of stuff. So overall, I would recommend it to try doing a podcast on the thing it is that you're learning. And it doesn't have to be development, it could be anything, it could be any kind of project. But I would not recommend an everyday posting schedule. 
not at all. Uh, I would I would say that you know at least at least take one day off a week. Lesson number twenty eight: set goals and deadlines to stay on track. So that was another reason why the podcast was effective because it was also not only like accountability, but it was also a deadline. And it was also a goal of a date that I was working towards. In the end, I didn't hit it. And what happened to me when I realized that it was impossible for me to hit my goal is that there was a psychological shift that happened and I, I kind of stopped caring about the deadline. However, the podcast still kept me progressing. It still kept me working each day. And, and so, I mean, that's kind of a different, different point of going off on a tangent there. Set goals and deadlines because the task expands to the time allotted to it. It gives you a benchmark effect for your progress on a day-to-day -day basis, and it get, gives you a clear idea and understanding of how to project uh, into the future of how long things take to do, how long it takes to learn things, and it, you know, budgeting and planning and all that stuff. It, if you don't have a goal or a deadline set, you sort of you're not tracking. You don't you're not tracking against something, and it just really helps a lot to have that. So I would. I would definitely recommend setting goals and deadlines so that you can stay on track and like shrinking the size of the task if you feel like you can't do it is the first approach if you feel like you're not going to hit your goal. So it forces you to make trade-offs that are essential to make <laughs> and it's a really important process to be making valuable trade-offs with your time. And finally, lesson number 29 and this is Jack's final hack. I think this is the most important one. Keep it fun. It's a marathon and you need to enjoy the journey. If you're not enjoying the journey, then it might not be for you. This whole industry, this whole career path, direction, this whole skill, if you don't really enjoy it and fundamentally you don't enjoy it, like you know that you don't enjoy it, but you just kind of want to have a valuable career or maybe your parents told you that you need to you need to do this, you need to be a software engineer because it's a good job and it's security and this and that. If it's not fun, then you're going you're gonna to avoid it overall. And it, it, might not, it just might not be, be for you. So the most important thing is that you find ways to make it fun. You find, and, and sometimes that means that you're doing easy stuff. Because sometimes easy is fun. Sometimes it's fun to flaunt your skills a little bit. You know, you work so hard to get through that suck phase and now you just want to, you want to flex a little bit and that's fun. But also sometimes hard and challenging is fun. Sometimes applying yourself to a problem that's just above your ability level is the kind of fun that you need. So easy is fun, hard is fun. You actually need both. And that's all I have to say about that. So thank you very much everyone for listening to my podcast. This is the final episode I may do more updates in the future, but it's definitely time for me to take a break from podcasting for a little while. So thanks for listening, everyone. And I hope you learned something new from this. And I do hope to talk to you again at some point in the future.